Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. If you've been following along or if you just looked on the cover of your bulletin today, then you will know that we are today at the seventh Sunday of Easter, or as I like to call it, wait, you mean it's still Easter Sunday. Yes, it's still Easter, although we are almost at the end. The Easter season officially concludes next Sunday on the Feast of Pentecost, the 50th day after the resurrection. Today, though, we're sort of at an in-between time. This past Thursday was the 40th day of Easter, and it's on that day that we remember the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God. That story is told at the end of Luke's Gospel account, and again at the beginning of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Luke, uh, who, remember, is the author, of course, of his own Gospel account, but he's also, also the author of the book of Acts, writes this. He says that, Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Jesus has ascended to heaven, leaving his disciples to anticipate the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's for this reason that the church unofficially refers to the seventh Sunday of Easter as Expectation Sunday. The Reverend Martin Smith uh, who's an Episcopal priest and a, a friend of St. John's. He regularly does some of our, our weekday services here. Uh, he said something recently about Ascension Day that I've been thinking a whole lot about. He said, this year as we celebrate Ascension Day, it's in a time when people are losing their optimism about the future of our own society and the globe. He says, so I think Ascension Day is very much about hope. At the end of optimism is created the setting of hope, and one of the things about the ascension is that we believe that Christ is liberated by the ascension from being contained in the past. He goes on to say that Christ becomes not only a contemporary figure who is keeping us company on our journey, but far more importantly, he becomes the Christ of the future who is ahead of us, who is a pioneer into the future we face, that future that seems so daunting. And he concludes, Part of our own celebration of ascension might be about recognizing that God summons us not to the past, but to be co-creators of a future that we've never seen before. God summons us not, not to the past, but to be co-creators of a future that we've never seen before. That's, that's where we are today on this expectation Sunday. Christ has gone ahead of us and now is calling us forward. In our gospel reading for today, we, we conclude what we've been hearing for these past several Sundays, Jesus' farewell discourse. Remember the setting we've talked about it the last several weeks. We're in the upper room. It's Maundy Thursday, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus has had his last supper with his disciples. He's washed their feet and given them a new commandment to love as they have been loved. He's telling them goodbye in an intimate way, and they, they don't seem to understand all that he is saying. Today, we hear the end of this long goodbye, and it's the portion of the farewell discourse that we call Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's a prayer to God, the Father, in three parts. We hear one part each year in the, 
on the seventh Sunday of Lent, in the, in the seventh Sunday of Easter, in the three-year lectionary cycle of appointed readings. In the first part, the part that we hear in year A, Jesus prays for himself that he may obediently bring to completion the work of redemption entrusted to him by the Father. Next, in part two, the part that we hear in year B, he prays for his disciples that they may, be, that they may faithfully proclaim the word that he has taught them. And then finally, the portion that we hear today in year B, Jesus is praying for the future church, for you and for me. And he prays that we might be united in the complete love that binds the Father and the Son to his church, and that in our love for one another, the world may come to know God. This is a bit of what I read. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, The glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The high priestly prayer is a a powerful scene. This prayer has sometimes been called the other Lord's Prayer, for it's the other prayer that Jesus prays, but that we don't say or memorize on Sunday mornings. And that's because it's long, it's kind of confusing, it's not nearly as polished or as poetic uh, as the Lord's Prayer we hear in Matthew's Gospel account. And it's, it's hard to follow at times. But the reason I think it's so powerful is because it's a prayer from the heart. In the final moments before his arrest, Jesus stops to pray for himself, for his disciples, for all of us, and he prays in the same way that we often pray when we are facing some huge trial or tribulation in our lives. He pours out all of himself to God. In the other three gospel accounts, Jesus also prays right before his arrest, but, but in those accounts, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane all alone praying. John's gospel is different. The last image from John's Gospel that we have of Jesus before he is killed is of him praying with his disciples. He doesn't perform some grand miracle. He doesn't raise the dead, give sight to the blind, feed the masses, walk on water, still a storm. That's not the final image of Jesus that we have before us today. In his last moments, as the Roman officials are preparing to arrest him and take him to his death, he prays. I ask, he says. It's almost as if Jesus is saying in his prayer to God that there is literally nothing more that I can do. I have come to the end. I ask, he says. I remember a story that one of my theology professors in seminary told told my class. Before he was an Episcopalian, he was a Roman Catholic priest and a a chaplain at a prison in the South, a prison that performed executions. He told us that on one day when the state was scheduled to execute a man for some grisly crime, he found himself walking with the man to the execution chamber. The man, he said, was silent, quiet, not not really remorseful for his crimes, but, but recognizing that his fate was set and that there was nothing else for him to do. As they strapped him to the gurney and prepared him to receive the the life-ending drugs that would course through his body, my professor said that he knew not what to do. No uh, comfortable words came to his mind that he could speak to this man as if anything would actually be comforting in a moment like that. 
Uh, and so he was at a loss as what to say. And so he told us, he told his class, that, that he prayed. He said that he bent down close to the man's ear and he began to whisper a prayer. He just prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And Professor Mani said that he said this prayer over and over and over again until the man was dead. He said to the class, he didn't think that the prayer would save the man's life. He knew that he was going to die and that there was nothing to stop that death at this point. But as he said to us, he prayed because he said, that's all I knew how to do. I prayed because he said, I wanted the man to know that in his final moments, God was with him. Mother Teresa once said that prayer is to the soul as blood is to the body. For followers of Jesus, prayer is essential to our lives. And so I think on this, this expectation Sunday, this in-between Sunday, this wait you mean it's still Easter Sunday, this seventh Sunday of Easter, we get, we get a reminder that we are called to pray. And why should we pray? Well, we should pray because Jesus prayed. We don't pray because we, we think we are wiser than God or, and, and by saying uh, our prayers we might change God's mind about some particular thing in our lives. That's not why we pray. We don't pray because we believe that God is a sort of Santa Claus in the sky waiting to hear our wish list. That's, that's not we, why we pray either. We pray, we pray because, because it draws us closer to God. We pray because it's how we show our love for each other. We pray because sometimes it's all that there is that's left for us to do. We pray because Jesus prayed. Amen.